0: did you do anything with your mom today yeah we went to tea we had tea with my sister and my girlfriend it was it was delightful how proper of you they had this little sandwich though that was a roast beef sandwich with fig jam on it figs did you eat it did anybody eat it yeah were you just like ew figs no other people really liked it. I didn't know that there was, I didn't remember that there was figs in it until after I ate it. What's, what's a fig? The
1: The closest I've come to eating a fig is eating fig newtons.
0: Now this tasted like someone crammed a bunch of fig newtons inside a roast beef sandwich. But it Dude, wasn't just a get, sandwich,
1: it was a croissant That's how you get fig jam is you just hollow out a bunch of fig newtons. <laughs> Nobody actually knows what a fig is. It's.
0: Actually, fig Newton bushes like they're just (laughs) they just grow on bushes. Um, Did you hear?
1: Last year, um, the crops got frozen and it killed all the fig Newtons. (laughs) There was like a late frost, and that's that's why it was so hard to find
0: fig Newtons. That's why that sandwich was like twenty (laughs) dollars. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you have been meaning to read. My name is Craig, and my name is Andrew. And each week we talk about sandwiches um failing that we talk about books books that uh we should have read by now or or someone told us to read which is often how i end up with books that i've been meaning to read (laughs) i don't know about you but
1: um yeah i we'd like to kick the show off this week i think by mentioning that we um we gave an interview to a site called book riot uh courtesy of friend of the show becky cole and um, it the response to it was really, really great, and we got a bunch of new Facebook likes, and a bunch of new Twitter followers, and a bunch of new subscribers to our feeds. So, um, welcome, welcome, all you new listeners. We're very, very happy to have you, and happy that you are wasting your time with
0: us. Yeah, I'll say I'm a little humbled by the the extremely positive response. As Andrew well knows, the internet is is a dark and dangerous place.
1: It's dark and full of terrorists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, I'm, it really warms my heart, and is and is kind of baffling that uh, people are are enjoying a couple of yabos reading books uh, over the internet and and being nice about it and, and really enjoying it. So we're really happy you're here, and we're really we really hope we don't let you down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be frank,
1: um, somebody, some uh, Cassie B on Twitter earlier today was. Tweeting quotes from our Edgar and Poe episode to us, and I was like, "This is really funny," but I don't. I have no distinct memory of saying those. I, things.
0: I think you and I share this. If we are not the one putting together the episode for the weekend sometimes even if we are, we once you speak into the microphone, thirty seconds later, you don't know. Oh, what it's gone. Said. It's gone. No,
1: it's just no. It's just it's just like talking. Like I don't remember anything that I've ever said to anybody.
0: Did we do the intro yet? Is are we recording? i'm not sure is this, are
1: we doing a podcast what is this about <laughs> where am i <laughs> who are you
0: it's mother's day <laughs> put on your coats cats and kittens it's cold out there all right now, all right. now Groundhog it's Groundhog <laughs> day that's different
1: <laughs> um but anyway thank you very much for those of you new listeners who just made it through that conversation yeah um we're really happy to have you and um we would really appreciate it. Usually we save this for the end of the show, but we'd really appreciate it if you um, have bookish friends who you think would like the show. If you could just um, point them to our website at overduepodcast.com. Um, we have uh, links to our iTunes page and to our RSS feed and uh, word of mouth is, is the best way for an enterprise like this to grow. So, you know, now that we have some new listeners, we, we also have new people who we can harangue to to spread the word about our show
0: let me tell you about a little podcast called overdue i hear you like books these two guys talk about sandwiches i don't know i don't know and then they talk to us about talking about the show it got real meta there for a second i'm not sure what's happening
1: anyway we all have a limited amount of time on this earth but you should definitely (laughs) spend some of yours listening to this podcast
0: I suppose we should spend some of ours talking about a book for once, right? Yes, Craig. What book did you read this week? I read Watchmen. Not the Watchmen. Watchmen. What by... is the
1: Watchmen? I don't.
0: I don't know. But every time I try to call this book the Watchmen, some nerd gets mad at me. So okay, it's... that's why they should. <laughs> it's Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons.
1: Okay, and what's the deal with this book? What makes it? What makes it unique?
0: Well. It's one of those comic book classics, in as much as there are those, uh, that you, you kind of always hear about and bubbles up into the mainstream, gets made into a movie, and everyone goes, where did that come from? I don't read comics. What's the deal? And all the <laughs> nerds go, here's what they messed it up. Oh, here's what's great about it. Uh, so it's a graphic novel. It's not just a comic. Right? Okay. it's, I've, it's... I guess...
1: Yeah, it's that that term the graphic you know graphic novel is sort of fraught. So um it is, the Watchmen was published through 86 I think. Yes. And then collected and published as one single quote unquote graphic novel in um 87. Correct. And um you know the term had been used before um there like through the 60s and into the 70s. Um the term was kind of used informally and then Is that um, true? You started to get these self proclaimed graphic novels kind of in the late seventies. Okay. And then by the mid to late eighties, um, the comic book companies like D C and Marvel had started to kind of latch onto it as um as an excuse to take like these discrete runs of comics and collect them into a book and sell them like in for real bookstores alongside other novels rather than, you know, in the in the comic
0: rack. Well, and and ideally what you're doing there is saying, right, here is a story that is worth paying attention to more than 3 months from now, right? Like yeah. you don't and you can read this only knowing the most basic facts about a character without without actually knowing, you know, everything from Action Comics number 1 to last week's Batman, you can just pick up this Batman book and and read it right
1: yeah like maybe there are stories that have come before maybe there are stories that are going to follow after but this thing that you're picking up and buying is in some way a self-contained story with a beginning and a middle and an end
0: all right do we have a um, like a a genre distinction between the two or is it really just a, a marketing term
1: not really. I mean the you know, critics of the term especially will, will emphasize that it's um that it's being used as a marketing term. And um Alan Moore, who is, you know, the writer of Watchmen is one of the more outspoken critics of its usage as a term. I have some good some good uh, quotes for why he prefers the term comics to graphic novel. Hit me. Because he says It's a marketing term that I've never had any sympathy with. The term comic does just as well for me. The problem is that graphic novel just came to mean expensive comic book. And so what you get is people like DC Comics or Marvel Comics, because graphic novels were getting some attention, they'd stick six issues of whatever worthless piece of crap they happen to be publishing lately under a glossy cover and call it the She-Hulk graphic novel.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Alan Moore, how... I do, I wonder how employable he is. Like I mean he's he's one of those
1: famous guys who like Watchman was one of the things that launched him to prominence. Like he did Watchman, he did V for Vendetta and um you know he got kind of famous and then he recoiled from fame. And, and then, like partially partially because of um because of Watchman he like severed ties with DC and he still does a lot of stuff and he still respected enough that people listen to him when he talks about things but yeah he's definitely he's a bit of an odd duck
0: <laughs> yeah isn't he like a magician or something like some yes. sort of paranormal magician
1: yeah he is um he's an anarchist he's an occultist and he's a ceremonial magician i don't I'm not 100 percent sure what that means
0: but <laughs> i also found a great quote from him about conspiracies because people were looking into whether or not he was a conspiracy theorist as we'll get to in this book, there's there's certainly room to, to talk about that. Uh he said that, quote, the truth is uh the truth of the world is that there that it is chaotic. The truth is that it is not the Jewish banking conspiracy or the gray aliens or the twelve foot reptiloids from another dimension that are in control. The truth is far more frightening, no one is in control, the world is rudderless. Drop the mic, walk out. I'm Alan Moore. It kind of is <laughs> I know. Uh thanks, Obama. Oh, God, <laughs> thanks for losing the rudder, Obama. She's Benghazi, I guess, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, Moore Moore is a very outspoken dude, and um the last thing about him that I that I want to highlight, I guess, before we move on to actually talking about um Watchmen itself was um so he and um Alan Moore did this book and their understanding of their agreement wa- with DC was that DC would, you know, retain ownership of the characters unless you know but but if the characters went unused for a year then the rights would lapse to to um to Moore and Gibbons. Did I say something else? No, I, I I think you're good. All right. Yeah. Uh, Moore and Gibbons. Yeah. the The writer and artist, respectively. But um, and, and I'm just reading, you know, Moore's side of the story here. I've not actually read the contract, so I don't know. I don't know who is in the wrong or if everybody's in the wrong or what the deal is. But
0: the world is rudderless, Andrew. <laughs> it,
1: <laughs> it seems like DC either included this in the contract or kind of warped the terms of the contract so that by never letting just the Watchmen comics and graphic novel go out of print, they quote-unquote retain the rights. And so they never lapsed to Moore and Gibbons the way that they were supposed to. That's my understanding of the disagreement. Well, but, what
0: would he have done with them, though?
1: I mean, you know, when you own your intellectual property, you can just do whatever with them. And that that is up to and including preventing anybody else from doing anything with them. Like one of the one of the things that Moore is kind of upset about is that um really recently they've gone back to the Watchmen well to do a bunch of prequel series that, you know, they have nothing to do with Moore and Gibbons and um their critical reception has been mixed. I think some episodes have been better received than others, but um more especially sees this as kind of a shameless cash in on the work that he and Gibbons did, hmm. and so in that, like, like even if he never intended to do anything with these characters again, he would want to prevent stuff like this and perhaps like the Watchmen movie from happening in the first. I kind of
0: just I have like an image of Catcher in the Rye in my head where like Moore is on a cliff and there are all these Watchmen characters running at him. And he's just trying to prevent them from going over the cliff, and he can't. <laughs> and they're like DC is at the bottom of the cliff with its mouth like wide open, and now it's not Catcher in the Rye anymore. Yeah, it's a fantasy novel.
1: Yeah, like Gibbons is is a little bit softer on the on the prequel stuff, um, and he kind of you know he he re- he wishes the best to the to the artists and the writers who who want to you know, continue this story. But then Moore says, what the comics industry has effectively said is, yes, this was the only book that made us briefly special, and that was because it wasn't like all the other books. Watchmen was something that stood on its own and had the integrity of a literary work. What they've decided now is, let's change it to a regular comic that can run indefinitely and have spinoffs, and let's make it as unexceptional as possible. Like I say, they're doing this because they haven't got any other choices left, evidently. So not a lot of love lost between Moore oh, and the comics industry.
0: I think Alan Moore needs a friend. I think he just needs a big hug.
1: I don't know if he'd take your conspiracy rudderless hug. I don't like I don't think he'd accept that you didn't have some ulterior motive.
0: Yes, I, I must reek of capitalism or something. <laughs> uh well let's talk about this book. You've read the book before before I read it correct yes
1: i've read it twice but it's been maybe a year year and a half since the last time i read it
0: um and this is one of the ones like like many like most of the books on the show save some more recent recommendations this is one that i have kind of been thinking about for a while especially when the when the movie came out and everyone was all excited and upset and disappointed and excited (laughs) again i don't know um I was kinda of wondering what the deal was. And of course everything you hear is, oh, this is the one this is the one true graphic novel that legitimizes an entire art form. Don't you like The Walking Dead? Go read Watchmen. Um so I read Watchmen. And it's about superheroes. <laughs> That's
1: Can you be a little more specific okay. about what it's about? I'll like try- tell tell me the try and sum this book up.
0: So it's an alternate universe of um of the United States of America. And the divergent point from our current universe is 1938 when uh, comics did exist, like Batman and Superman, or at least Batman, and superheroes, quote-unquote, became real. People started wearing masks and fighting bad guys. And then they become kind of a driving force of America, and then a real superhero happens through some sort of you know scientific origin. That's Dr. Manhattan. And the government kind of uses him to gain control in international, you know, foreign relations. And by real superhero you mean
1: a person who really has like greater than human
0: powers. Yeah, I didn't I didn't just mean like he's a super cool one like he's a yeah, real Like Most superhero.
1: of the most of the people in this book are just people who may or may not have mental problems <laughs> <laughs> who dress up in costumes. And maybe they have some gadgets or maybe they don't, but yeah, most of them are not actually superhuman like, no.
0: physically. Dr. You know? Manhattan is legit like he could turn you into dust if he didn't like you with his mind, you know. Um, so America uses superheroes to win Vietnam, and Richard Nixon is president forever at this point. The Cold War is still happening, uh, which sucks. And due to public <laughs> opinion... uh public opinion turns on superheroes because people aren't sure who's in control of them and they they've kind of grown to not trust them after a couple of incidents. Uh so they outlaw superheroes 7 years prior to the events of the book. The events of the book take place in 1985. Fun fact, Alan Moore thought that when that he thought that's when the book would be finished, uh and it was not. <laughs> so um so in 1985 superheroes are outlawed. And the book opens with one of them named The Comedian, uh, whose insignia is a like a smiley face, which you'll see on all of the Watchmen materials. Uh, he is killed for some reason or another. And the other former members of, of this kind of band of superheroes from the 50s and 60s, oh no, sorry, excuse me, 60s and 70s, uh, kind of get wrapped up in this large conspiracy theory as the Cold War not so slowly but surely becomes a hot war that's that's the setup anyway sure um, do you want me, i don't know if what do you want where do we go from here
1: well okay what what do you do you want to get more into um the plot or do you want to explore some of the characters because that's i mean like each issue is kind of devoted to its own superhero right while while it also drives the larger plot forward yeah that's so yeah so it's kind of equally it's it's equally telling you know one larger story while telling the individual stories of all these really distinctive really interesting characters so i i don't know which which road you'd rather go down like choose your own adventure
0: oh no one of the most frustrating things about a lot of current superhero movies is that every other movie is an origin story right and
1: like i know how (sighs) spider-man happens like stop telling me how spider-man happens he got bit by a spider and now he has some powers that are kind of similar to what a spider does
0: no he can do everything a spider can andrew not sort of <laughs> everything I'm sorry
1: i haven't listened to that song in a while so you forgive me for it's not on forgetting. your wake-up
0: mix um, or like
1: batman's parents died like i get it oh man i don't need to see every other movie like dramatic flashbacks oh no what's gonna happen to bruce wayne's parents like this is a mystery to me
0: i saw a trailer for a tv show the other day called gotham and it's purportedly about gotham before batman shows up but guess what happens in the trailer andrew his parents die his parents die yes and then some girl some middle schooler dressed in a like, skin-tight cat burglar outfit shows up. No, it's the worst. All right, anyway, Watchmen's great. Let's move move back to Watchmen, sorry. Um, (laughs) There are origin stories in this book, but the book is told not completely non-linearly, but it definitely skips around. Uh, It opens with this kind of cold murder case and ends with a plot to destroy the world. Uh, That's, you know, your A to B to Z. But in between each time, uh, the, there's a new issue because it was published as different issues, it focuses on one of the new character, uh, one of the other characters. So you have uh, Night Owl who inherited his persona from a previous generation of superheroes, who's kind of your impotent middle-aged Batman character. You mm-hmm. have Silk Specter who inherited her character from her mother. Uh who was involved with the first round of superheroes? you have Rorschach, who is this kind of uh, chaotic neutral madman <laughs> uh, who wears a Rorschach blot mask
1: i don't even know if he would be chaotic neutral or if he's lawful neutral I think he might be lawful neutral
0: um he might be lawful neutral because
1: he he's not. Like he he has a code and he sees these things as being right or wrong and it, it doesn't mean if it's some punk on the street doing it or if it's one of his friends doing it like he is totally humorless in his enforcement of of good okay. or at least maybe in his mind he's lawful good okay maybe from the perspective of you or me
0: he's how's your more pocket chaotic. protector right now are your hands covered in Cheetos
1: listen man if my pen exploded. My shirt would be pristine. It would not even get stained a little bit.
0: (laughs) Uh, So Rorschach's crazy. And (laughs) then there is, um, well, the comedian I talked about, he is one of only two government-sanctioned superheroes. Now, he's dead at the beginning of the book, but he does factor in as a major character in all of the flashbacks. And after the act passed in 77, where all the superheroes were outlawed, the comedian who's kind of this like evil superman like he's a human but he kind of represents America's superheroes in a way cuz he's willing to just go and fight bad guys even though he kind of Yeah, is a he kind of
1: he kind of gets off on a little bit.
0: Oh, more than a little bit, I'll tell you that much <laughs> on the destruction and everything. Um and the other government sanctioned superhero is Dr. Manhattan, who is uh the actual superhero. He was uh trapped inside of some science magic box. I can't remember. I'll just
1: the... like call it a proton something. Proton like, probably static there were protons. field
0: inhibitor or something. I don't know. Uh, and he gets turned... Proton <laughs> magiculator. <laughs> he gets turned into a giant blue magic man um, who... Sees time differently because his relationship to matter is all crazy. We'll get more into him in, in just a second. Uh, and then there is Azamandius, whose real name is Adrian Vite, And he is one of the smartest men on the planet just because of his genes and not his jinkos, but his DNA. And <laughs> he uses that to gain full control over kind of his mind, his body through meditation. And so he's super handsome, super fit. And he fashions himself after Alexander the Great. And then he actually gets out of the superhero game before uh, everyone gets outlawed. So he can invest all of his money and and build some palace in Antarctica. He's a really weird dude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like like one, he's always thinking several steps ahead, which is going to factor in importantly later. But um, one gets a sense that he saw the superhero ban coming, so he decided to get out. And get clean, and well, I mean, clean, so to speak, and like retain his public image because he's still he's still kind of beloved. Like one of the things that his company sells are Ozymandias action figures. I love it. I love it. So, so like while the American public is maybe a little wary of some of these other um, freaks wearing their underwear on the outside, they still like Adrian fight, and they still like Ozymandias.
0: And one of the things that's kind of great about alan moore creating his own universe here because he was handed a bunch of characters from charlton comics by dc and some sort of merge which included the blue beetle and the question i love their shoes. by know. the way <laughs> the charlton chews they made all of their comics out of taffy and <laughs> caramel and stuff um but so Alan Moore didn't have to kind of reconcile a bunch of disparate origin stories. Like he was able to craft characters that came to superheroism for their own reasons, right? And what- Well,
1: um, one of the other things that factored into that, right, was that DC didn't want these characters it had acquired from Charlton to be unusable in the future and they looked at they looked at what Moore was proposing to do and they said you know after this happens we really probably can't do that much more with these guys
0: (laughs) well and i don't know enough about comics to know how cyclically the like deaths happen it seems like once Superman died in the 90s or whenever it was, like every other week a major superhero dies, and then yeah, I swear,
1: like I just see Twitter getting mad about it. It's like, oh, Batman died again.
0: <laughs> oh, well, there was one where like Batman got transported back in time, and he was like a caveman or something. What? I don't know. I saw I I saw a shot of Batman in a cave, or, or someone discovered a bat symbol in a cave. It was supposed to imply that he'd been teleported back in time. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Anyone, anyone who has any corrections to this nonsense can email us. Uh, we'll talk about that later, too.
1: His parents were killed by a rogue mammoth, <laughs> and he swore <laughs> that he was going to hunt down all the mammoths. <laughs> it's not the mammoth hunter we'd want, but he's the one we deserve. This
0: town needs a better class of raptor. <laughs> um, so he's created these these characters, Alan Moore has, that have very disparate origin stories. Um, You know, Dr. Manhattan has a kind of classic one where he was a scientist who was in love with a woman and this watch broke and he went back into the machine to get his watch. And then he became a superhuman. Um, Warshak has this really troubled past. Uh, His mother was a prostitute and uh, he was abused by other kids along with her. and, And it kind of shaped his worldview and turns him into this kind of right wing vigilante character who, all things considered is still pretty sympathetic to the reader. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, well,
1: in relative to all the other people.
0: Yeah. Uh, night owl is kind of this schlubby guy who really liked the first night owl and, and gets into super like super heroics so that he can make a difference. Um, silk specter kind of did it cause her mom did it. And I like that her mom got into superhero work, like with an agent, Aiming to make movies. <laughs> yes. And then when she gets out of the game. Someone acquires some of the footage. That they were using to make her movie. And they turn it into a low budget porn. And it goes real bad. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, so it, it's kind of. Useful the way these characters are all different. Um, that they all have a slightly different outlook. on On what's happening. In this world that is fraught with peril. Right on the precipice of disaster. Mm-hmm. And. The way each book kind of reveals their origin stories, it does so in a way that also informs how they're actually interacting with the plot, if that makes sense,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, and then the other the other thing that I don't want to hammer on too much because the whole book is just filled with with examples like this, but um most of the superheroes kind of um they're like deranged versions of the superheroes that that you know and love, I guess is like they they are like night owl is batman but he is like kind of aimless and and impotent and literally yeah like literally impotent <laughs> and like doctor manhattan is like superman except his um you know the the amount that he is different from the rest of humankind means that he starts to drift away from them and become less interested in their affairs so they're, they're all like these conventional superhero archetypes but with a tragic flaw, yes, or two, a piece, three, <laughs> they, or four. Yeah, um, like they 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 take what you would expect and they conform to it. But there's always something else. There's something that makes them imperfect in a way that a lot of superheroes are not. Especially those like original 40s, like Golden Age superheroes.
0: Yeah, they do. F- they do follow those archetypes. Moore was quoted as saying. You know he wanted to he thought that it would be a good way to start a comic book, have a famous superhero found dead, and then you would be led deeper and deeper into the real heart of the superhero's world and show a reality that was very different to the general public image of the of the superhero and kind of take those classic tropes of of who these comic book characters are and ground them in reality such that they appear crazy and weird. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about Dr. Manhattan. Briefly, I don't want to spend time on all the characters in the book. We don't have time for that. Um, so if we don't cover your favorite character from Watchmen or you read it and, and have strong feelings, please send them in to us. Uh, about a third of the way through the book, Dr. Manhattan is kind of pushed away from the other characters by someone who claims that his kind of radioactive self, which is not actually radioactive, has given a bunch of people cancer. And he is harmful to the world around him. So after that episode explodes, he retreats to Mars because, you know, he can teleport <laughs> and doesn't need to breathe, I guess. They kind of, they don't explain all of the rules, and you can slowly re- learn that no rules apply to Dr. Manhattan.
1: <laughs> yeah, he can do pretty much whatever.
0: So he ends up on uh, Mars, and he's looking at this picture of him and his previous girlfriend from when he was a human, and he kind of is thinking about his origin and his life uh, completely non-linearly uh, one panel I think I can find one panel says uh, Saturday the 19th now my hands encircle Lori's face that's a silk specter in 1966 the costume people are arguing in 1959 I am telling Janie I shall always want her it's later Laurie is walking out on me so he's basically living all of his life at once because his perception of, of matter and time is so different. And what this all builds towards is this notion that he's not sure there's a cause for anything. He thinks everything just kind of is. He he calls the world a clock without a clockmaker um, or a watch without a watchmaker, excuse me.
1: So would you say that the world is kind of rudderless? I would. Oh, I oh would. It's so cool how we tied that together.
0: I know. Uh, and so he builds this weird sand palace for himself on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget about that? No, I didn't
1: forget about it. Just the, the abruptness with which you brought it up <laughs> made me laugh.
0: Well, and so his concerns kind of shift to the natural world and, and things that he can understand because they don't have causes right they just are this this featureless Mm -hmm. landscape that is filled with interesting shapes and you know things caused by hundreds of years of erosion and and time and And
1: he can sort of impose order on it and everything makes sense yes
0: which is which is important and so when you brought up superman earlier the thing about superman is that he has that uncanny love for humanity and for Lois Lane specifically, am I right? I guess. Mm. I've never been a huge fan of Superman. I don't.
1: No, I don't. I'm not either. And it's because he's so, like, uh, putting taking your glasses off is not a disguise. Like, if you took <laughs> your glasses off right now, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, who are you, you
0: stranger? You get away from me. I have no idea who you are." But haven't you seen Kill Bill? Clark Kent is the disguise, Andrew.
1: Have you seen Craig and Craig without glasses in the same room at the same
0: time? I, <laughs> I think they might. I think they might be the same guy. I certainly haven't. Um, <laughs> one of the funny lines about uh, which is actually kind of ties this whole discussion together. At the end of each chapter in the book, there is some sort of kind of mixed media primary document from the universe you know one of the first ones you read is the original night owls memoir about the founding of all the superheroes Um, another one is night owls bird journal article that he wrote like some sort of bird quarterly that he wrote an article about owls in
1: And then you see like uh, an interview that Adrian Voigt gives to a newspaper or something about about being Ozymandias and moving on from that
0: life. The one in this Dr. Manhattan chapter talks about how the political sphere on Earth changed when uh, Dr. Manhattan arrived and, and aligned himself with America. And there's this quote that gets bandied about, which is, Superman exists and he's American. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and the senator who said it gets all upset because he 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 originally said God exists and he's American, and it's kind of not he's not calling Doctor Manhattan God, but he's saying that God created him, and you know God must have been American to give us Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, um, so it's just that that kind of love for humanity and this sand palace, which you know echoes uh, Superman's Fortress of Solitude, et cetera. Uh, kind of paint that mirror image of Doctor Manhattan where he could do anything but his arc is one of slowly caring not to
1: yeah because like super part of superman's thing is that like he has human parents and he has a human love interest and he kind of has this desire to belong and to fit in and to be accepted by this race that has kind of adopted him unwittingly where doctor manhattan is slowly becoming detached and not really
0: not really caring. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to the Fearful Symmetry chapter. Andrew, are you cool with that? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That is the first chapter. I think it focuses focuses on a couple different characters. Midway through the book, uh, other superheroes are are in the line of fire. Doctor Manhattan's been, you know, shipped off to Mars through trickery and rorschach is going to this former villain called moloch uh and questioning him and adrian veidt gets uh someone attempts an assassination they make a play on his life what is the phrase i'm looking for there's an attempt on his life there's a hit on his life. there's a hit on him there's a spot on him we gotta wipe it off (laughs) what am i saying
1: By the way, I love like you don't get you don't get to see a lot of the comic book villains in this, but I love the ones that you do get to see. They all have like these terrible like space ghost
0: names like Moloch. Moloch is (laughs) great because he like he was a magician and he wore like totally stereotypical magician clothes and he has pointy ears for some reason. And then when you see him, he's all just kind of shriveled up living in a crappy apartment in new york yeah
1: like i think there are if if people watch the venture brothers still Mm. i think there are a lot of parallels there where where um there used to be these glory days for these like these super scientists good guys and then these villainous bad guys and then in the in the timeline of the show this is happening like 20 or 30 years after and everybody's just like an old man in a onesie (laughs) like running around
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you know i wonder if for Watchmen specifically that that sense of days gone by and, and why every time we'll get to fearful symmetry in just a second but this is a good tangent um why many of the origin stories don't feel clunky they feel in service of the overall themes of the book is this kind of late cold war era that is post vietnam in the real world where america really was falling on you know hard times in terms of self-imagery right Mm -hmm. uh at least from certain camps certainly alan moore's camp um this kind of sense of america the great america the beautiful america the the one true moral center of the world is certainly shattered and and faded Uh, yeah and
1: compounded by stuff like watergate where the american public's Started to, or I don't know if started to is right, but they definitely lost faith in their government in a way that would not have been conceivable during like the Eisenhower, um, Truman, uh, Roosevelt eras.
0: Yeah, I know that, that for a lot of people that looking back is, is the time when it, when it really broke and, mm-hmm. and what the government was and, and your relationship to your country became very different. Mm -hmm. um and even people who i think claim to like have no reservations about saying that they love america and america's the best i think their relationship to it is changed even still by by that by you either are doubling down on on something that other people are kind of saying needs some fixing or you you get something different from the government you owe the government nothing because the government is inherently corrupt and needs yeah, cleaning like out. The
1: pe peop- the people who think that it's great even get a little bit defensive about it, I think is some of the thing. Because they, they feel have this perception that they are some persecuted minority or something. Yeah. It's it's and that the rest of the world is is down on America and who are you that you're not you you know you're not in the in your country's corner or whatever. I don't know. It's all it's all very complicated. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh and one of the things that this book does really well visually is uh, This America this New York is kind of faded and in a lot of secondary purples and oranges secondary colors that that don't give you that moody Batman Blade Runner feel and don't give you that bright happy Batman feel <laughs> just to use Batman I don't,
1: like happy Superman like the optimistic
0: or even like Adam West kapow Batman like that Batman is super bright and colorful.
1: Yeah, it's not bright, hopeful colors. It's not like I don't know dark, vigilante gloom. It's just this, it's just perpetual. Yeah, they're they're very like bland, muted, tired colors almost.
0: Yeah, and a lot of solid colors. A lot of um, just a lot. It feels like a, the whole book feels like a sunset. I don't know.
1: Yes. Don't know. Yeah. Or or like there's a fire like yes. right off the panel. That's that you that's can't another see somewhere. another good way to think about it.
0: Um, so speaking of the panels and the layout. Fearful Symmetry. It's the sixth chapter of the book, and it's notable for the fact that it, in terms of panel composition, is a mirror image of itself. Um, So the, the center of the issue, if you were to buy the original issue in the store, you would find at the center of the issue a frame where... Uh, the guy is trying to kill Ozymandias, or Adrian Veidt at this point, he's not actually Ozymandias, um, in his office, and he hits him in the face with this like Egyptian artifact, and it spreads the page so that the guy's face is on one side and Ozymandias is on the other, and it ripples through the rest of the issue. So the issue starts with Rorschach interrogating someone. Then it goes to this to the newsstand that the book goes back to a lot. Then it goes into the pirate comic book. Then it goes into the Vite assassination, and then it works back in the exact opposite order. Um, And I know that that has larger thematic repercussions for the book in terms of whether or not anything in the book kind of prevents or solves the larger conflicts at play. Uh, But it's just really interesting because I don't know how you pull that off in a normal... "Quote unquote" novel in a in a words only novel without it getting really messy and and oh weird. definitely yeah like
1: like and and even if you did it in a novel that only had words it would be way less noticeable like you can't see anything as big as a shape you'd just see like two sentences that had the same number of words in them or something I'm not even sure how you would <laughs> how you would construct that but it's definitely one of the ways one of the ways in which Watchmen is like natively a comic book or a graphic novel, whichever whichever term you like <laughs> well, and it, it's it's doing things that even if they could be pulled off in another medium, they wouldn't be as effective or you'd see the seams showing a little bit more, like the fearful symmetry thing is something. I mean, I didn't notice it the first time I read, but then you go back through and you realize, oh yeah, that is what they're doing and it's kind of awesome.
0: Well, and it's really neat if you... if you I noticed it sort of on just that one page where Vite is in the center smashing that guy in the face and then on the three panels on each side they're kind of laid out like perfectly along the staple line in the middle, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that the rest of the chapter kind of works that way. Um, And I don't think that it would work that way if Moore and Gibbons hadn't settled on their nine panel a page format uh, where it's pretty much just a like a tic-tac-toe board grid of Mm -hmm. of panels. And they occasionally break from it uh, to give you a larger one. But it's not that kind of variable size panel that you see in, in everyday comic books. Right which i think actually gives them tighter storytelling at times like the opening of the book is a sl- is a multi-panel like pan out from a crime scene which is where the the comedian's been tossed out of a window so at first mm-hmm. all you see is that iconic watchman smiley face around some blood and it one panel at a time retreats to a cop looking out a window and it's something that's very cinematic but I kind of like that it's not a picture in motion. I kind of like that it's a couple still images that I can look at and pick apart because there's always information in the background. Um, Yeah,
1: right. And I I think that it's one of those um, creative endeavors where you impose like one particular restriction on yourself. And having to work within that restriction kind of makes you more creative in other ways.
0: Yeah. Well, and you can reference other frames as well. By working with just that just that style, you can kind of recompose an image later. I'm thinking of in the Rorschach chapter when he's been uh put in jail for a crime he did not commit. I'm I'm on I'm on Rorschach's side on this one. I got his back. Uh he is He's the eighteen <laughs> He is uh, being interviewed by this, you know, kindly psychologist who has a pretty good relationship with his wife because he's a good guy. And as the Rorschach case takes over, he becomes more distant and and frantic uh, and they don't it kind of ruins his marriage. But there's a shot of them early on where she asks him to come to bed so they can have some sex. And she's in the frame and they're smiling at each other. And later he's staying up late and. You just see her dialogue bubbles from out of the frame, and it goes, you know, you're gonna be up late if you if you keep drinking all that coffee. Why don't you come to bed? And he's like, No, I got to work on this. And then there's this frame where it's just her shadow through the door, like the light coming in through the door behind her, on the wall, being like, Why don't you ever pay attention to me anymore? And his he's all like upset. And it's just a really subtle. I mean, it's not totally subtle, obviously. Um, but it's a really specific way to call back an earlier composition of the two characters. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And I think throughout the book, Gibbons did a lot of really wonderful work that tells you who characters are, perhaps even before you know their names. Like you start recognizing the superheroes before you've even heard everything about them. Dr. Manhattan appears before anyone said his name, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, There's a funeral early on where all of the characters show up and you don't necessarily know all of their relationships to each other, but there's a lot of looking, there's a lot of people looking at each other with looks yeah, like on their if, faces.
1: If, if you go back to that page again, having read everything, like you totally understand all the relationships based on the way that they're silently interacting with each other, which I think is, is really good. Uh, um. So do you, I mean, do you have more here? Cause there is something I want to jump to based on what we just talked about.
0: Uh, I'll just throw one more thing about the dialogue. I think the writing is really good. Um, I could probably stand to reread the whole thing and and pay a little less attention to the words, actually, because they're they're so (laughs) engrossing. But one of the strengths of it being this visual medium is not only can it be kind of mixed media in terms of now here's this journal page. Here's this uh, newspaper article, which I'm sure has been done in comic books before. Um, and will be until the end of time. But there is also the shorthand, which I know is not new also, of characters, not only do they speak differently, like Rorschach kind of speaks in clipped sentences that often lack pronouns, or um, Dr. Manhattan is is very kind of buttoned up, but his word bubbles are always blue, and, and Rorschach's are always kind of wobbly and weird, and it just... When, and there's also a lot of um, crossover between this other comic, which you might want to be talking about. I don't know. Um,
1: um, that's, not the, that's not the thing I want to do next, but I do think we need to talk about okay. it before we close. We'll so.
0: come back to this in a sec, but there's another internal comic book called The Tales of the Black Freighter, and that is used as a thematic device throughout the book, and all of the kind of quote-unquote voiceover from that comic appears in a certain font and coloring. So you can kind of keep track Of where all this stuff is coming from, and as someone who does not read comic books a lot, I'm sure I sound like, "Oh my god, I discovered comic books! Uh, Look
1: at these different speech bubbles to signify different people are talking."
0: (laughs) But maybe there's like real bad comic books out there where this doesn't happen. And golly, golly, gee, they put the words (laughs) next to the pictures, and it means stuff. Did you see this, Dolores?
1: all right jimmy stewart like
0: what? Do you jimmy stewart the prospector apparently what do you want to talk about
1: <laughs> um i wanted to okay so you mentioned this kindly psychologist um there are characters in this book who are recurring and who are significant but who are not like core to the story they're not in our group of superheroes and i wanted you to talk about them and about what happens to them and like how they're used so in the in like the wider story that the book is telling.
0: Okay, so the main one you're talking about is the newspaper salesman, and you meet him yes. pretty early in the book. The there are these two warring newspapers and the New Frontiersman and and another one whose name escapes me right now. The
1: New Frontiersman is the libertarian one. Yes,
0: um, yes, and they kind of take different sides on the current administration on the superhero thing and this guy is always kind of mouthing off about the world and he's you know shaking people down the street to sell newspapers and people come to him to buy their newspaper of choice and he's this really good touchstone of what is happening outside the world like outside the, the the plot of the book right so the shadow looming over everything is that russia is first invading Afghanistan, then they're going to invade Pakistan and Russia's just getting more and more brazen, especially now as Dr. Manhattan has left Earth and America's screwed. Uh, yeah, like
1: like imagine Dr. Manhattan as if he were the bomb, but no other countries had the bomb. And so Well, so he leaves and then America's adversaries start to press their advantage.
0: I know I've I've mentioned this uh, story before. There's a Vonnegut story, Andrew, called The Barnhouse Effect. Have you ever read that one? I have not read it's that. It's actually one. about a man who can blow stuff up with his mind and okay. <laughs> and how he is implicated in foreign policy and, you know, how that affects America and its standing in the world. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. People who like Dr. Manhattan should read that story. Um but so Along with that, newspaper salesman is this kid who's reading this comic book, which is Tales of the Black Freighter. Uh, And you and I have talked about this, that because superheroes became real, the comic books that inspired them became less popular in this universe. And so people really took to pirate comics. (laughs) And apparently one of the people that the book uh, includes as as a colorist on or artist on one of these pirate comic books is actually a real guy who made real pirate comics, which I think is great. Um, John Orlando, I think might be his name, but that book itself is used to underscore other plots in the book, um, other scenes and, and bits of action by this one man who is running from this freighter that takes people to hell and, and what he does to try to escape it and, and how that ends up actually causing him to, to be caught
1: um yeah and then the it the main i mean the main thrust of it like the the short one sentence version is he is running from this ghost ship but the things that he does to escape it end up turning him into the monster that he was running from
0: yeah and it's 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 far less dumb than it sounds in one sentence and it's broken up over the course of the book in a way that uh I think actually helps. It makes it more subtle yes. than I just made it sound, <laughs> basically. Uh, and so along with, with them are also the, uh, like like you said, Andrew, the psychologist. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else major that we're missing. Um,
1: there's like the lesbian couple. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. The cops who are investigating the comedian's murder factor in mm-hmm. a little bit. The too. guys who work at yeah. the
0: newspaper, they they're there as well. Yeah. Um, and they kind of they just round out this population of New York that is caught between, you know, this world where superheroes were good and and now they're bad and and they're all facing the impending nuclear doom. Like it is there every there's no. Uh, <laughs> there's like they are the, almost literally on the earth
1: there are surrogates for the common man like they are the collateral
0: damage that that happens
1: in this in this fight between i don't know different different people with their fingers on different buttons i suppose i would say
0: andrew can i spoil the big
1: part of this book spoil the big part of this book and if you have not read watchmen and you want to probably you should turn it turn this off and go and do that and then come back
0: Okay, so right. the but I gave you time. I gave you time. Come back in a few minutes. Um, so this is behind everything.
1: <laughs> there was one person who was just fumbling for the pause button on their. No, oh, just... <laughs> I'm so sorry.
0: I'm so sorry. Um, but like Andrew said earlier, he is five or six or seven thousand steps ahead of the game, and he's also not present in a lot of the book. So you kind of. As it starts to take shape, it's really not the biggest surprise that he's the one behind everything, but the book does a really good job of of giving you other stuff to make it think that even though he might be behind it, things will be okay. Dr. Manhattan will save the day, or Rorschach will punch him and bad stuff won't happen, but bad stuff already happened. And yeah tell 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 us about the
1: scene that you like the most with that with that twist. So there, like, that really drives home what you're talking
0: the about. The term that we really like uh that we learned from the Incredibles which is monologuing, which is when <laughs> the evil villain tells the hero what his plan was all along uh and it gives
1: the hero enough time to stop it to devise a plan to stop
0: him. Like isn't that one of your favorite episodes of the Simpsons, Andrew? The James Bond one? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> the uh hank scorpio, hank scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> okay now that we just laughed at the fact that hank scorpio exists
1: no he it's 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 another thing that like james bond is is trying to get scorpio to engage in this conversation and he's like scorpio you're totally mad and scorpio says i wouldn't point fingers you jerk <laughs>
0: and then he is unceremoniously gunned down at the end of the sequence uh so in his Antarctic, in Antarctican palace, is that? His Arctic palace. How would we say that? Say it like it's a Powerade flavor. <laughs> uh Vite is telling Night Owl and Rorschach that he is trying to save the world and avert nuclear disaster by bringing together the two superpowers in conflict against a third power, which is a giant vagina monster that he had some people invent for him um a big a giant alien yeah thing, he called basically. yeah he's
1: yeah he's trying to hoodwink the human race into believing that they're under attack from uh, an alien invasion
0: force so what he plans to do is teleport it into new york and because he is not as good at teleporting things as dr manhattan he knows that once it gets there it will explode and kill a bunch of people and then uh united states and and russia won't launch nukes at each other and and the world will be a peaceful place um he's big on the peace osmandias is
1: it's a it's a very big and not very subtle uh commentary on on the ends justifying the means, yes which is
0: a more than common uh supervillain trope but i think it helps that you only spend a certain amount of time with Osmandius, so that th- it doesn't feel worn by the time it happens. And the big surprise is that when they say, no, you can't do that, he goes, oops, I did that 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of says, I wouldn't tell you this whole plan if I hadn't already done it. And the chapter ends, and I can imagine, if you were reading these like week to week or month to month when they came out, that would be the worst. Oh, my God, to wait for the next yeah, issue?
1: Yeah, again... To um to go back to how the individual characters, like, subvert your expectations of a comic book. Like, your expectations here are that Night Owl and Warshak have gotten there in time and they're going to stop him. Well, and that Dr. Manhattan
0: but, is yeah. going to teleport in and, and fix everything, right? Yeah. Nope. Open the next chapter and Vagina Monster has laid waste to New York. And it <laughs> is some ghastly stuff. Like streets red with blood bodies everywhere and it's ah it's rough yeah it's rough rough.
1: and this and this it's destroying major landmarks and it's doing this in like a pre-9-11 pre-independence day sort of thing where where people i don't think had been desensitized to like imagery of the eiffel tower falling over or something you know yeah
0: and i mean maybe it's just Maybe it's the quality of the art, like kudos to Dave Gibbons for depicting something so awful so well, I guess, (laughs) but it doesn't, even in a world after that, in a world where I'm used to Michael Bay disaster porn, like, it is horrible. Um,
1: Yeah, it's rough, and I mean, it's, it's really driven home by, you know, all all of these in the moments before this explosion thing happens yeah. like all the secondary regular people characters you've gotten to know throughout the book are all kind of gathering together and and um um as i recall they're like trying to break up a fight someone and like they they're all getting together and doing like this kind of fundamentally human but kind of random thing like just yesterday i was on the subway and this guy was like Had taken offense because somebody was looking at him and, like, or he was like, Are you looking at me? Do you want to start something? Oh, no. And all the people around them are like, Dude, chill out. Everybody calm down. Like, just trying to break the diffuse this so nothing bad happened. I watched, and it's one of those things that just like reinforces your humanity i guess in whatever small way well
0: all of the little relationships bubble up right like the psychologist is is there and his wife who got in a huge fight with him and walked out wants him back but she wants him to not get involved in other people's problems anymore and this woman is getting mugged and a a fight breaks out and and he's like i have to go i have to go help her so his wife gets mad at him a bunch of other people join in on the fight and that's kind of bubbling up as Ozymandias is is telling Rorschach and Night Owl his plan. And then all of those people just get blown up.
1: Yeah, like you cut back to that scene and they're all laying dead in each other's arms. It's really intense and I'm really I hope that people who wanted to read this book had left and read it and come back because it's really, it's it's just, it's really powerful. I'll try to make a, especially if you're not expecting I'll it. I'll try
0: to make a note in the in the show notes that we do drop a major spoiler, which we don't normally do. But it, we drop a
1: major alien monster yeah. bomb that just blows <laughs> up and <laughs> spoils all the plot plot elements. And <laughs> I think
0: the, one of the other ways that this book kind of, not quite subverts, but at least builds upon that supervillain trope is that towards the end of the book. Uh there's this scene between Osmandius and Doctor Manhattan talking about what's gonna happen next and how this plan obviously worked. It's it happened. No one stopped it. Uh and well not only does
1: the plan work, but the intended you know, it has the intended result. Like peace happens. Yes. Yes. Even though it kind of ends with a question mark a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but Vite kind of turns to Manhattan, he's like, Well, you can you know, you can see all this. What did did I do the right thing? Is everything going to end? And uh, Manhattan just says to him, end, nothing ever ends, and walks away. And that's not the full end of the book, but that kind of feels like it.
1: Um, Yeah, that's like the capper and everything else is the epilogue. And
0: I know Alan Moore was, he intended people to read this multiple times. Like there's a lot that you can miss the first time through. There's a lot I'm sure I missed the first time through. And so that's why I I feel a little less bad about spoiling it because you can there's much to be gained this is not some kind of Shyamalan trickery (laughs) you know Um, so yeah that's that's Watchmen Um, welcome back anyone who skipped ahead to find out what happened and didn't want to just turn (laughs) off the podcast uh, thanks for joining us (laughs)
1: Um, If you'd like to have any particular book spoiled for, <laughs> spoiled for you, you should tell us about it. Um, we have an email address. That's overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter feed at twitter.com slash overduepod and a Facebook feed at facebook.com slash overduepod.
0: And I want to thank uh, people who've been tweeting about the show since, especially a couple people since our interview ran the other day, uh, including Dr. J. 1990, Siaswarina, Uh I pronounced that wrong. Uh, Edagamist writing renee ikra bookshop <laughs> bookshop ikra bookshop who has some <laughs> awesome hashtags and as andrew mentioned earlier cassio cassiopeia b which just cassie b uh and on facebook some people have been reaching out as well which is another great way we i think andrew and i probably checked over to facebook a little more often but we'll be better about twitter uh that's heather the more people interact
1: with us on twitter the more i check it honestly like i've been retweeting and replying and favoriting things like getting messages makes me want to check it more often you want (laughs) your twitter
0: dopamine drip we want the twitter dopamine drip find us on the twitter um i also want to give a shout out to heather annie allison jenny z vivian and colleen for reaching out via facebook we definitely appreciate that Uh, And if you want to find old episodes of the show that you haven't listened to already, you can head on over to OverduePodcast.com. I almost forgot the cast. Uh, You can also subscribe to the RSS feed if you haven't already. Check out the iTunes page where you can subscribe for your iDevice of choice and rate and review us if you have the time. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, it really does help other people find the show. There's like something in the iTunes algorithm that is based on ratings and reviews. And I know that if I'm looking at a show for the first time, I'll, I'll see what some people have said about it. Um, and it doesn't take very long. Uh, so we we greatly appreciate that. And I is there's also Amazon links. Ah, that's the thing I forgot. It's the last thing. This is a long spiel. Ah, it keeps I'm, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm <laughs> going. Uh, if you like one of the books that maybe you've listened to the episode for, and you want to pick it up and read it for yourself, as I know some of our listeners had, you can click on those Amazon links and pick it up, uh, either in dead tree version or uh, Kindle ebook version or whatever you you so choose. Uh, you can also pick up books that we are going to read um i think next week andrew we're going to do some sort of dr seuss thing for Children's yes, um
1: book week it's children's book week this week but you know we <laughs> we we had not planned to, to do anything for it until a little too late so we're going to do some kind of dr seuss thing not sure what but um next week should be a fun episode and um and then we, we usually try to keep books for the next two weeks up on that website. So if children's books are not your thing, just you know hang tight, and we'll have something for you soon. And uh, I think that's it.
0: That's it. If you have a favorite children's book that you want us to talk about on air, you should send us an email. We'll, we'll if can't promise anything, but if it's a book we have heard of, we might talk about it, or if we haven't heard about it and it sounds super crazy, we might also talk about it. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Also, go read Watchmen. It's it's pretty great.
1: It's really good. And, um, okay, thank you for listening, everybody, especially you new listeners. And until next week, try to be happy.